Good morning, church. You hear me all right? I like to be loud, especially when I'm singing about the Lord. Uh, I'm going to sing this song. Y'all have heard me sing it before, but I think it's a, you know, an appropriate song for today. And uh, I really love this song, When He Was on the Cross. <laughs> Children's Church, preschoolers. Miss Betsy, I think, has you today. 
All right, look at this awesome group of boys and girls. I, we look forward to Sunday when we can see each one of you in your smiling faces and they just keep coming. Look at here, they just keep coming and coming. All right. And Wade's counting. All right, here we go. All right, I had this really cool magic trick planned for you this morning and we tried it in Sunday school and it didn't work. <laughs> it worked yesterday, but it, that paper clip would not float on water this morning. And so I decided we would tackle this lesson in a different way. Um, how many of you have ever seen Jesus? You've seen pictures, but how many of you have ever seen pictures? How, how many of you have ever seen Jesus? How many of you have ever seen God? Well, you've seen God. Kyle, you're awesome and thank you. You're exactly right. You and Layton both. You're exactly right. We have seen the sunset. We have seen the beautiful sunrises in the morning for those that are up early. We have seen rainbows. We have seen new babies that have grown and, and we love to know him. We've seen, we've seen God and Jesus in other ways. There were the disciples that were there when he was crucified and who he led through life and he taught, he, he taught them for the three years that they were here. When he, when he died on, and then arose on the third day, he didn't appear to all of them at the same time. It was at different periods that he appeared to them. And there was one that our Bible tells us about that was Thomas. And Thomas just did not believe. He said, until I see him myself, I will not believe that he has come back. And sure enough, it wasn't long after that, Jesus provided, Jesus came back to where Thomas saw him. And you know what Jesus said? Blessed are those that have not seen me. Where can we go to learn everything that we need to know about God and Jesus and their love? Where do we go? Where can we go? Before we get to heaven, where can we go? We can go to church and we can read our Bible. Thank you, Dallas. Read our Bibles. Our Bibles tell us everything that we need to know about God and Jesus and his love. And if we go there, we can even learn. We can even... If we read it with open hearts, if we have problems and things that we can't figure out, I promise you, if you go into your Bible and if you search and if you read and if you do it with an open heart, you can always find your answers there. Okay, so even though we've not seen him, does that mean that that means that we still believe, right? Even though we, hey, listen, listen to me, Bobby, Bobby, listen. Even though we've not seen Jesus, we still believe, right? And we, we ask him and we talk to him each and every day and ask him to come live in our hearts, okay? Yes? One of the disciples needed to see him to believe that one of the disciples... Well, praise God, it was, back. it was a disciple that needed to see him. Praise God that Jesus was able to fulfill that and make it to where he could see them. But for me and you, we have our Bibles. We have everything around us. 
to tell us that there is a God in heaven, that there is Jesus, and guess what? They love us far more than we could ever begin to understand, okay? All we have to do is to believe and let him enter our hearts, okay? All right, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your many blessings. Dear Lord, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that we don't have to see you in order to believe. We see the many gifts, the many blessings around us that you have placed in front of us to where there's no question that you are there loving and watching over us each and every day. Thank you, dear Lord, for your many blessings. Watch over these children. Please, dear Lord, watch over their families and bring us all safely back next Sunday. For us in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And understand we're, we're going to probably be in quite a few places, but that's not a surprise to you guys. And as I'm turning there, I was given these by Miss Judy this morning. And I, I think what it is is Miss B, I mean BBN has got some, some stuff coming up that's just for teens or... For the parents of teens, it looks like there's a, a conference pulpit, and they're either airing shows that have to do with teens, like speakers talking to teens and that type of thing. So if you're interested in grabbing one of these, I think she has some, and I have a couple of them up here. Please feel free to grab one, um, and there uh, should be some good stuff in there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 <laughs> Last week, we began our, uh, I guess you would call it, exegesis uh, in, in seminary terms of the, the Bible passage from verses 15 to 20. We began to try to interpret it and see what things are packed in there. And understand that, that what we're going to do is we're going to, pick out some of these terms that are in here, some of these concepts that Paul's laying out. We're going to talk about those hopefully pretty deeply, um, or at least a little bit, and then when we get to the end, we're kind of draw, draw it all back together and, and say, what is Paul trying to communicate in this letter to the Colossians? There are, uh, there is some theory out there that what's written in verses 15 to 20 is a hymn. Uh, it's like it maybe it might have been an early church hymn because of the language and the way things are written here. But the theological implications of what is written is really uh, amazing. And it really presents a high view of who Jesus is. And I hope we began to see that last week when we talked about Jesus being the image of of the invisible God, the prototakos in the Greek, the firstborn of all creation. All right? So, and what we discovered was he existed before the universe was created. As a matter of fact, the universe and its creation came about because of his activity, his creative work. And we talked about if you are the creator, you are the owner and by very fact of being the owner you have authority over what you created and we're going to pick up that thought today as we jump into what paul is portraying here with these verses i got to thinking a little bit this morning 
And it's, it's tried to put that in a way that we might can grasp our hands around it a little bit more. You know, I think about those guys that create a, an invention, something that is a valuable commodity, something we need. Or they come up with a brilliant idea, taking stuff that we already have and making it to where we can use it. I think about people like, uh, uh, and now I don't agree with a whole lot of what goes on at Facebook, but Mark, with Mark Zuckerberg, you know, him and a couple of guys creating simple algorithms on a computer are now multi-billionaires. And if you think about it, what he created, he is now the owner and the pretty much the ultimate authority over what he created, right? You know, or we, we think about the, uh, the Tesla guy and the inventions that he's come up with. For the life of me, I can't remember his name right now. Thank you, Elon Musk. The inventions he's created and using his mind, using his creativity, he's come up with things. He's created a company and is doing huge things and he's the authority in a lot of ways, right? And, and so with God, with Jesus, it's a lot different. It's, it's more intense, but it's kind of that same concept. You create, you own, you are the authority. So let's look at Colossians 1. Verse 15, as it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And I was thinking about um, the love of God, searching for the 99. And then when I was on the cross, I mean, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind this morning. And thinking about the love of God, and, and we kind of talked a little bit last week about, I wonder if Jesus was actually in human form when he grabbed the dust and formed Adam. But I got to thinking as they were singing this morning, what if, because God is all-knowing, right? So he had to have known. Can y'all think about that? You're about to create something for disaster. Nails in your hands, nails in your feet. Spear in your side, suffocating on a cross, but yet you're still kneeling in the dirt, forming the very one who's going to bring that on you. That's huge. That is strength beyond degree, love beyond compare. He stepped into his creation and began forming of those things that needed forming once time and space and matter were formed. Verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have, be create, have been created through him and for him. So guys, all things were created by him. What does that mean? Most things? Everything. Time, space, matter, physical universe, love, all of our emotions, information. You guys realize how much information is stored in your DNA? 
I mean, think about it. There was enough information stored in Adam's DNA to produce every tribe and every nation on the earth today and to make every one of our fingerprints unique. Our very cells, which have irreducible complexity when you start to look inside of them and the function of the different parts, those things that we can't see that God just called into being that were never there in the first place. But this idea of heavens, it's okay, so we, it, well, the things we can't see on earth, I guess to continue that, the, the, the seas, the oceans, what we can't see down in the depths, down in the bottom, all the different types of fish, all the different types of aquatic life, plant life, all the beetles, all the mosquitoes, you know, all the little tiny microscopic organisms that until we had a microscope, we couldn't see. Everything that is was called into existence by Jesus. Can you imagine the knowledge that that requires? It says, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth. Heavens, it's interesting there because it's plural term. You know, we think about our sky, we, you know, we point up to heaven and we, you know, we, we think about, you know, where we go when we die, we think about heaven right oh so there's two different heavens well we also have, we have our atmosphere we have the universe outside of our atmosphere and we have this what's this called the spiritual realm the heavens and i think when 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 paul is speaking here everything that exists plain and simple space time matter all of the organisms all of humans, all the animals, all the, the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all of the stars and the moon, the different galaxies, the sun, the planets, and also the unseen realm, heaven, spiritual realm, what we can't see, he also created. And it even says those things that are visible, those things you can see with your eye, and then those things that you can't, they're invisible. And then he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, this really gets a little tricky, and I, to be honest with you, I don't know that anybody can say with absolute certainty, you know, what each word means and what nuance is going to be there, But because it's very interesting to me that there's four Greek words here. And they all are kind of talking about the same thing. And they all pull almost, well, some of them pull like a figurative type meaning from what they really mean. The, the first one, the first one is, is self-explanatory. It's thronos, okay? From what we get our word thrown, okay? So that makes sense. But I want you to think about that idea of thrown. When you and I picture a throne, we picture, you know, a lot of times I picture fancy, fancy looking chairs, you know, sitting up kind of high and lofty, right, where a king moves up to sit down and rule. So throne is like a physical picture of an invisible force, so to speak. Because we don't see authority. 
We see a king who exercises authority, and we know authorities there. Or we see a throne that represents authority. But we don't see authority. We see it in action. So this throne, thrones, plural. God creates thrones. Well, what does that get into? Did God just sit there and start building a throne way back in Genesis somewhere? And then, oh, look, I created a throne. Is that what he means? No. It's this idea of visible, invisible. You see a visible throne, but what does it represent? It represents a power, an authority, a ruler, somebody who can get people to do things they want done or punish them if they don't do what they want them to do. Very interesting thought. And, and, and Ernie, well, what is all this theology going to amount to? I mean, yeah, we can stand here and say, okay, God created these things, but what difference does it make to me? I'm going to ask you just to hang on, okay? Just hang on. So the first word is thrones, and it has to do with authority, power, a ruler. The second word is curiatetes, curiatetes, which is from the root word curios. And that means nothing to you guys, but every time you see the word Lord in Scripture, the word curios is behind that. Every time you see Lord, the Greek word kurios is behind that. So kuriatetes is from that Greek word kurios. So the idea of Lord or one who rules, one who has authority, a supernatural ruling power. The next word is archot. It's from the root arco. And it's a figurative extension of the word thronos that we just discussed a few seconds ago. It's a supernatural power having some particular role in controlling the destiny and activities of human beings. Power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. I want you to understand that it, RK is used every time you see the word beginning. Well, not every time. Let me not say that. But a lot of times in the New Testament, when you see the word beginning, that word RK is used. So Jesus is the beginning of all creation, RK. So you take a figurative meaning from that. If you're there in the beginning, if you're the one who started such and such and so and so, by very nature of doing that, like we said with Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, you will take authority over what you were starting. And that's what happens with Jesus. He is there in the beginning. He's the firstborn of all creation. Nothing came into being that has come into being except through him. And so he is the archive. He's the beginning. He's the ruler of what he created. And so you see these words that have one meaning literally 
but then they can, can move into a figurative meaning in the Bible. And the last one is very interesting. Uh, when you put it with some of the stuff that we've already looked at before, it's exousiae. Exousiae. And it has as its meaning authority. And a lot of times when you see the word arche in Scripture, you will see exousiae with it. When you see the word archai, you'll see exousiae with it. So your Bibles, well, mine says thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. And your Bible probably has something close to that. All things have been created through him and for him. Let's do this. Let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians, which is just a, a few pages back. Ephesians chapter... Um, hold on. Chapter 3, verse 10, and chapter 6, verse 12. So let's look at 3, verse 10 first. This is another one of those passages where archai and exousiae are included together. It says... Um, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, and what's going on there is Paul is talking about God calling him to minister to the Gentiles and bring to them the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the faith, so that these rulers and authorities that are in the heavenly places can actually catch a glimpse of what God is doing. So even, even some of the spiritual forces don't know what's going on until God does it and he uses us to do what he wants to do, and he uses his angels to come to us and give us messages or fight on our behalf in the spiritual realm, but he's accomplishing things, and he's doing so that, that even the spiritual forces can step back and go, whoa, that was awesome. Man, God, you are, you are just, you are it. You deserve every bit of praise and worship and glory. Look at chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Well, let's, let's just start at verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers. Y'all catch that? Against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You catch that? You know, Ashley and I have come to learn, and we forget this a lot. But we went to a marriage conference uh, quite a few years ago that Family Life Today puts on the weekend to remember. And it was awesome. I highly recommend anybody going. And one of the things that they taught us at this conference was when y'all are fighting each other, 
I want you to remember that you're not fighting each other. Who are you really fighting? Do what? The evil forces of this darkness in the spiritual realm. Satan will use us in each other's lives. Listen, Ernie, remember, Ashley's not the enemy. There is a real enemy, and it's not Ashley. That can make a huge difference in your marriage. Do you know that? If I could just remember that. <laughs> but what we see in the physical realm, okay, what we see in the physical realm uh, is it the playing out a lot of what is going on in the spiritual realm. And we don't see the spiritual realm unless God opens our eyes up to it. But there are authorities, there are forces, there are powers at work in the spiritual realm that are very, very formidable powers. And they are against God and what He wants done on this earth. And they are given authority to operate in and on this earth. Do y'all understand that? And we experience every day those forces at work in our world. And you and I, I know I don't have to tell you. Because you see it firsthand. But what is so awesome about this? is what we're reading in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Because it says, He is before all things. He is the prototypos. He's the firstborn of all creation. And nothing exists unless He made it. And if He made it, He has the ultimate power and authority. And even all of these other authorities that have been given authority for a little bit, understand that they've only been given authority. They don't have the creative power to make themselves an authority. And so God in his authority stands in authority over every other power that exists. Whether we can see it or not. And guys, when we think about this, you know, China, Russia, uh, Ukraine, it, it, you know, Vietnam, it, it doesn't matter who the kings are. I mean, yes, it does. But there are spiritual forces at work behind the scenes. And so when we look at the ruler, we see the authority he has, and we understand that there are other authorities that are behind them working to accomplish what they want done. But there is the ultimate authority who's the one that created all of those, who is letting everything work out according to his will and according to his purposes. And you and I need not fear. Because he is the one in complete control and in complete charge. Of it all.
Turn, look, Ephesians, put it back to chapter one. And, and this is where it, man, this is where it really starts to. Here's a prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians in chapter one, verse 18. Listen to what it says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And listen to this. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about, listen to this, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the where? Heavenly places, far above what? And in my Bible, it's the same two words, all rule and authority. And power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Guys, when we think about theology and what is written about Jesus, and we can skip over these words and we can, you know, just kind of get to those juicy verses that we like a little better. But understand what we believe informs our values and our values get lived out in our life. And if we can grasp a God who is before all things and created everything, whether it's visible or invisible, that stands as the ultimate power and the ultimate authority over every other authority, no matter how big or how scary or how ugly or how uh, overwhelming they are. They don't stand a chance against the creator of the universe. That idea can transform how we live our lives. If we begin to stand in the strength of his might and not our own. If Temptation comes on us and be like, man, Satan just knows how to push my buttons. He knows the right thing to do and he gets me every time. Is he the authority? Is he? No. Who's the ultimate authority? Jesus. Right. So if we live, if we live with him as the ultimate authority, can it change our lives? Yes. And so this theology, this high hymn praising the exalted Christ as the creator of the universe has every power to change the way we live every day. Amen. 
Real quick before we close. Turn to Job chapter 38. I want to remind you of who Job is. Okay? He was a guy who Satan came to God and said, well, I think God said, have you seen my servant Job? Right? And Satan's like, well, it's because you blessed him. That's why he loves you. And God says, okay, I'll let you do. I'll let you do some things, Satan. See, there, I want you to understand who's the ultimate power? God. Who is in authority? It is God, and he's allowed his created being, Satan. Now understand, he didn't create Satan to be a bad angel. He created Satan to be a beautiful angel, carrying on his bidding, but Satan let pride get the best of him. And he chose to walk away. But he allowed Satan to have authority over Job's life but he was the ultimate authority to call the shots. And so Job lost his kids. I mean, he lost, his health was taken away. Job went through hell. But I want you to see how God calls Job back to himself to end the whole affair. I want you to see this. Now, I got to turn there. Watch what he does. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. God's talking junk. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And that's, that's one passage of scripture that when it talks about morning stars, that's the angels, I believe, that God created. When the sons of God sang, while well, they were watching creation. Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band. Because remember when he created the earth? On day one, it was nothing but darkness. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. And it wasn't until a day or so later, I can't remember which one, where he actually called the seas together. He separated the waters from the waters, made the firmament, and then he called the seas together and caused the dry land to appear. And he's like, where were you, Job, when I did that? You see what he's doing? He's pointing back, and if you read, it's chapters 38 all the way to the part of 42 if you want to read it. He talks about the animals and how he cares for them out in the wild. He lays it out. And what he's saying is, Job, I'm the creator. And you don't even come close 
to the power and the authority that I have. But as the creator, I am the ultimate authority. And I can do what I want to do with my creation. You see what he's doing? And that sounds scary, but I want you to understand by the time you get to chapter 42, Job is built back up. And he said, man, you know what, God? Before this whole experience, I could talk about you as somebody that knew about you. But now because you've shown up and you've showed me that through creation you were the ultimate authority, I now know you in a way I've never known you before. And Job was restored. So the idea, listen to me, the idea of authority of God making a difference in our everyday lives is played out in the book of Job to an immense degree. Let it play out in our lives so that it transforms our existence. I know what some of you are facing or have been facing over the last several months. I don't know what the rest of you are facing or have been facing. But this morning, do you need to revisit the fact that Jesus is the ultimate authority in your life? And then do you need to bask in that for a few moments so that you can face what's going on in your everyday life again? That's what the invitation is this morning. Do you, do you need to come to grips with his authority in your life again? Page 275.
want to bless you to walk out of here under the authority of the one who really is in control.